Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Taiwan is a beacon of democracy in Asia and an important counterbalance against the Chinese regime. We talk about how Canada can better support Taiwan. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show. This is a special edition of the program. On the weekend programs, what we do is do a deep dive into some very critical issues that oftentimes don't get nearly the attention they deserve. And one of the issues I want to spotlight on this episode is the state of Taiwan, but more specifically, Taiwan-Canadian relations. Taiwan is a beacon of democracy in a part of the world that very much needs it. It's also a country that has been excluded from very key international organizations, notably, as we've seen in the last year and a half, the World Health Organization, despite Taiwan having one of the best records in the world of any nation in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. We have continued threats of aggression from China. As recently as a few days ago, the Chinese regime saying that it wants to uh, pursue at all costs the reunification. And here we are with a Canadian position that is not entirely clear in supporting Taiwan. We have a fantastic panel of guests here to delve into this issue, and we'll see where the discussion goes. I'm joined by St. Albert Edmonton Member of Parliament Michael Cooper, who introduced the Canada-Taiwan Relations Framework Act, which would have pursued a very strong relationship between Canada and Taiwan that I know we'll get to during the discussion. Also, Yuan Sang, who is a founder of Taiwan Watch, a freelance translator now with a great passion for Canada-Taiwan relations and also uh, Taiwan's relationship around the world and York University professor Jung Chen Shin who is an expert on Taiwan Canada affairs and joins us now as well all of you thank you so much for coming on today it's great to speak with you thank you be here So I want to start with you on on this, Michael, from the the political side of this. How would you characterize right now the Canadian government's approach to Taiwan? And I guess a better part of that question is what should it be in your view? The approach of the current government has been, frankly, timid. Uh, For the longest time, the prime minister hadn't even uttered the word Taiwan. Uh, Indeed, it was when I posed a question to him at the start of COVID back in January of 2020 and pressed him on whether the government would support uh, Taiwan's participation at the World Health Assembly, uh, that for the first time in a long time, if not the first time ever since Justin Trudeau became prime minister, but he answered in the uh, affirmative. And uh, just uh, recently, when uh, Taiwan uh, applied to join the CPTPP, uh, the government of Canada uh, didn't uh, indicate its support uh, for Taiwan. Uh, So there's a lot that Canada should be doing to stand up uh, with Taiwan on a diplomatic basis in terms of strengthening economic relations and encouraging greater defense cooperation and working with our allies. 
I want to move to you on, on this next UAN because I, I know you look at not only Canada's relationship with Taiwan, but also that of other countries. I mentioned in my introduction the, the issues with the World Health Organization, which I, I think has certainly been a lot, it's been very revealing of, of a sentiment that exists elsewhere. But would you say it's getting better? Would you say more countries are coming alongside with this idea of recognizing Taiwan, or is it pretty stagnant? Um, I wouldn't say it is better, but I would um, sum up as the um, exposure of Taiwan, Taiwan uh, news um, in the last uh, almost two years has been increased dramatically and in, in a positive way. And how, how has that been positive? I mean, why has that happened, I guess? Uh, many was because that Taiwan have been very successful in control in controlling the, uh, the pandemic, and um, uh, uh, and economic growth has been soaring um, better than before, um, which stand out um, of all um, most of the countries, and even the growth is faster than China. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, Professor, let me turn to you on this. I, I know that for the most part, and, and you may have a, a different perspective on this, I would think a lot of the politicians in, in Western countries and liberal democracies are, are ideologically on side with Taiwan, especially as it pertains to uh, China on the other side of this, the People's Republic of China. So what is it that prevents stronger action on this? Is it, is it just fear? Fear of China? Is that what it comes down to? I think it comes a, a couple of factors. Number one, of course, is economic factors. And China's a large volume of uh, markets and uh, imports, which is obviously is one of the most important factors which attract most of the country to toward China. And there's also other factors because China actually um, used several dip diplomacy to lure different countries. For example, during the pandemic and vaccine diplomacy, has been very successful in South America and Africa and the Middle East. And also the Road and the Build Initiative, which is a, a project to start in, to build infrastructure across several countries, which has also been very successful to attract many countries' participation. Of course, the most recent report shows that that's a huge downside for the RBI Road and Build Initiative, which is a hidden debt, which already created more than $360 billion debt to China. I'm glad you brought up the Belt and Road Initiative, because I think the influence of this and the spread of this around the world is very much understated. And I would also say to talk about the media angle here, unexplored significantly. Let me turn to you on this, Michael, because we know that the conservative government, the previous conservative government under Stephen Harper, really viewed free trade as being the tide that raised all boats. We saw dozens of free trade agreements with countries around the world. But at the same time, we know that despite China's entry into the world stage into a number of these global liberal institutions, China has not liberalized. China will not liberalize. It's not moving in that direction. Instead, as we mentioned with the Belt and Road Initiative, China 
China tends to benefit from this without really giving and without any other countries around the world benefiting. So to bring this into the Taiwan context, let me ask you here, does China need to be dealt with in that way for Taiwan to be dealt with? Do both things need to be done at the same time? Or irrespective of what's happening with China, can a country come up with a very strong pro-Taiwan policy? Well, we need to recognize uh, that China is not our friend. Uh, it is an important partner in many respects, but it is not our friend. And this government's uh, approach of more or less going along and getting along with the Chinese communist regime and seeking to appease the Chinese communist regime uh, resulted in hostage diplomacy, resulted in the Chinese communist regime threatening safety and security of more than 300,000 uh, Canadians uh, in, Taiwan, in Hong Kong and, and uh, has resulted in punitive trade measures imposed against Canada. Uh, so we need to work with our allies uh, to counter uh, China and to support a democracy uh, in the Indo-Pacific region, which is being threatened by the Chinese communist regime. And that includes uh, strengthening relations with Taiwan, including in areas of trade and investment. And we shouldn't minimize the importance of Taiwan to Canada. Taiwan is a big deal. It is our 13th largest trading partner. It is our fifth largest trading partner in Asia, and it is one of the world's largest economies. That's, I think, a very interesting point, because a lot of times people view Taiwan and support for Taiwan as being an inherently anti-Chinese regime move, which, you know, in, in some ways it may well be. But I, I think you're right to point out the independent reasons that trade with Taiwan should be pursued. And, and this goes back to what you and I were speaking about at the beginning, UAN, about how people are learning more about this. They're learning more about what's happening in Taiwan. But do you find that there is, when you do your advocacy around the world and in Canada, do you find there is an, an understanding of, of what Taiwan is? Or, or does it seem very abstract for people? It's just this thing they hear about in the news every now and then. Um, in terms of understanding Taiwan and Taiwanese and uh, the preference what Taiwanese want for their future, uh, regarding the sovereignty and uh, country recognition, I don't see people, um, ordinary people, knowing very much. Um, some may say they don't even show an interest about it. Um, so in the circle of the news media, um, people in, in the group may, may know better. Um, in general, no. And on the other hand, um, lots of misinformation um, coming up, uh, mainly from China. So this is um, a counter measure. Um, it's not, the effort has not been there. And, and um, 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 countries that um, are receiving the uh, negative impact from China when, uh, they have um, when, when they have uh, uh, stretched um, their relations with Taiwan a bit better um, in any way that may anger in China. Um, so uh, the negative impact they receive in another way, it's a lesson to teach the public. Uh, that's a taboo area, no, don't go. So, no. 
That's interesting. And I, and I guess, Professor, I'll ask you, why should people care? What's the message to those who, who don't necessarily understand the impact of Taiwan or, or why it matters? Why is this a, a region that needs to be given attention and, and a country that needs to be supported? I think there are a couple of reasons that like, people probably want to pay attention to it. The number one is that it actually helped Canada's economy. The first thing is if you see like uh, um, in Canada, over the past two decades, our manufacturing sectors already declined almost like 50%, and which had a huge impact. For example, our blue collar workers, most of them, they don't have job now. And, uh, and a lot of uh, manufacturing decline, it's not just a, a cycling. A lot of job permanent, permanently move out of Canada and which also affect Canadians' innovation. Because a lot of innovation, if you want to commercialize, you require cooperation between R&D and manufacturing. The, the, the truth is Canada's exporting, now most of them based on resource-based. On the other side, Taiwan has probably one of the best manufacturers, especially in terms of high-end semiconductors. So from this perspective, I see that's a huge complementarity between Canada and Taiwan. And number two is Taiwan and Canada actually share a lot of things in common. Everyone knows that Taiwan is on the first line and confronting with China. So a lot of like uh, misinformation and uh, a lot of uh, propaganda and uh, from China to go to Taiwan. And as we all know that, China's influence into Canada's business, politics, and uh, economy has, has been huge. And I think Canada has a lot to learn from Taiwan, how in a small island can have a such strong power and know how to deal with China's uh, different economy and information strategies. There's a, an interesting issue that you raised there, which is the like-minded nature of, of Canada's relationship with, with Taiwan. And I'll go back to you on this, Michael, because we know the Conservative government, or the Conservative Party, rather, ran in the last election on the idea of Kanzuk. And there was a, a push behind that, that Canada should pursue relationships with similar countries, in that case, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Is that where things are going now, where countries should start prioritizing values and, and similarities and, and shared concerns in, in pursuing relations? And, and do you agree with, with the professor here that, that Canada and Taiwan would fit that? Yes, we certainly do. Uh, we share uh, common values, uh, commitment to freedom, democracy, pluralism, and uh, the rule of law. And uh, yes, it, it is important that Canada conduct its foreign relations on the basis of common values. And uh, we need to uh, confront the Chinese communist regime and work with like-minded allies, uh, including uh, the United Kingdom, uh, Australia, the United States, uh, India, uh, and Japan. Because right now, uh, having uh, illegally, uh, but nonetheless successfully, annex Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan is in the crosshairs of the Chinese communist regime. Uh, indeed, John Aquino, the commander of the uh, US Indo-Pacific Command uh, stated earlier this year that the annexation of Taiwan 
is the Chinese communist regime's number one priority. And uh, there's no question that the increased uh, aggression that we have seen uh, is a real threat, uh, not only to stability and peace in the Indo-Pacific region, uh, but also to the international rules-based order. And we've got to work with our allies to confront that and deal with it. I'm glad you brought up Hong Kong. And I have a question for you about that, UAE. And when, when we see what we've seen in the last year, and I, I guess the last couple of years in, in Hong Kong, does that force a lot of the people in your community, the activists for, for Taiwan's independence, to get a little bit nervous? Or, or is that really underscoring why it's so important to continue that fight for independence? Um, not only in the um, activists in the forum that I am in, um, also um, the op opposition party currently in Taiwan um, politics um, acquire a field of uh, li little uh, smaller parties that are even more convinced that um, there isn't there is no any gray area um, in terms of the preference to choose the future for Taiwan um, uh, independently or to to, to go alone uh, softening with uh, China I think the, uh, the, the main opposition party, Kuomintang KMT, um, has been receiving uh, uh, less, uh, less approval rate and, and the rating is dropping down. One, one of the reasons uh, uh, coming from um, what's happening in Hong Kong and, and, and the result, the, the loss in general elections, uh, President um, uh, uh, re-elected from DPP um, party uh, beginning of last year. I'll put the same question to you, Professor. What, if, if anything, is there to take away from the Hong Kong experience that could help, or, or I mean, if we're being analytical about this, hurt the Taiwan independence movement? China has been promoted one country, two systems, and to, to Hong Kong, and want to use it as an example, and then to reunificate the Taiwan. However, and as we have seen since 2017, China basically completely violated the agreement with the United Kingdom and completely destroyed freedom and uh, partially democracy and, uh, in Hong Kong. So it turns out that um, Hong Kong as an example for reunification uh, between China and Taiwan has completely lost the credibility. So I think it's very important to let the world know what's happening and what happened in Hong Kong, which deliver one, I think very important message to the free world, which is that you should never trust CCP's commitment, even in papers. So, and uh, if you remember that like, uh, Deng Xiaoping ever promised that uh, 50 years we will maintain the same system in Hong Kong, but after Xi Jinping become the, the leader and then they completed and uh, forget the, and, uh, the commitment. So, I, so, I, so I, I guess that nowadays, especially in Western, the so-called so Panda um, scholars and, uh, and the schools, 
they kind of want to base on Western values. They want to believe that everyone will honor the contract. Once we reach agreement with China, and then we can draw China into the world trade system. Eventually we can, we can change China's political regimes. This idea has been proved completely wrong over the past 50 years. Wish I could disagree with you, Professor, but I, I really can't. I mean, the historic record speaks for itself there. And I'll, I'll turn to you, Michael, because not trusting the Chinese Communist Party has been something that uh, Canadians in particular have been reminded of of why they, they shouldn't do for the last uh, several months, the last year and a half. Just recently, we had the return of, of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor after China had engaged in hostage diplomacy over Canada's arrest of uh, Meng Wanzhou. But when we look at this, there's been for the last uh, however long this pandemic has been going on, 18 months or so, there's, there's been this sense that, well, you know, we can't criticize China's handling of the pandemic because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be aggressive when they have the, the two Michaels. And, and a lot of those same themes are still going to be there now. Well, we, we can't be aggressive with Taiwan or aggressive with China about its position on Taiwan because, you know, they could arrest some Canadians. They could uh, uh, lash out in other ways. What do you respond to people who say that with? Because I think there is a legitimate concern that any strong position against China will result in that sort of conduct, which we've seen from them in the past. I think in some respects, it's the wrong lesson to take away, that somehow we can't rock the boat and that we should go along and get along uh, with the Chinese communist regime. As I outlined earlier, the strategy simply hasn't worked. And, uh, and so I think it's just be the wrong approach to take. What would, just to, to take a broader look at the, the Canada-China relationship, which includes Taiwan, but has other factors as well, what, what would that relationship look like if you had your way? In terms of the Canada-Taiwan relationship? Well, the Canada-China relationship more broadly, which I'm just pointing out here, includes Taiwan, but also has other things. Yeah, well... Uh, as I say, I, again, I, I think we have to recognize that uh, China is a serious threat. This is a dangerous regime. It is a regime that uh, is committing genocide right now as we speak. And so uh, the measures that I would like to see Canada take is to take a strong position against the Chinese communist regime in terms of imposing uh, Magnitsky sanctions on Chinese communist officials who are responsible for dismantling democracy uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, the U.S., for example, uh, has imposed such sanctions on 34 individuals, including Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam. That would be an important step to send a clear message to the Chinese communist regime to think twice about doing to Taiwan uh, what it has done to Hong Kong. We need to get Huawei out of Canada's 5G network. The telecoms are already moving away uh, from Huawei, but for some reason, this liberal government hasn't seen fit to do that. So there's a lot of measures uh, that we can take and should take uh, to stand up to the Chinese communist regime's bullying and the fact that they are not just a threat uh, to Taiwan, uh, but in many respects, they're a security threat to Canada. 
UAN, what do you think of that position, that, that their countries have a vested interest, Canada and other nations around the world have a vested interest in taking a strong position on uh, China, which would help Taiwan, but would also help themselves? Do you agree with that? Certainly, yes. Um, it, it, China's testing your boundary all the time. So um, uh, relationship with Taiwan in terms of trade and, and, um, and diplomatic um, relations um, is solely dependent on the country itself, on Canada itself. And um, China should stay out of the business of Canada. And um, it's a very fine line and Canada certainly need to learn to navigate the way out. And Canada has not been the first country um, um, having going through the last two years of the two Michaels uh, detention. And, and um, therefore uh, Trudeau government has been really silent and um, on, on the issues and delaying with the actions to voice for uh, human rights issue and democracy issue in Hong Kong, human rights issue in Xinjiang and, and uh, uh, issues with Taiwan in general. Um, we now comes to a, a, a turning point now, um, hopefully that would be a turning point to a positive way um, and we will see what the liberal government is going to bring to us. Do you find, Professor, that China's bad behavior tends to immunize it from a lot of pushback? Because, as we were talking about in the last few moments, a lot of people will say, well, you know, yeah, we don't like that China's doing X in Taiwan or Y with the two Michaels, but, well, we don't want them to do more of it, so we're not going to say anything about it. China's market to many countries and world still one very important factors to influence their part of foreign policies. But in addition to that, if you look at the reality, actually China doesn't have many allies around the world. And uh, given the current situation between United States and China, I think it's very important for Canada to stand on a free countryside. And then we should unite all the like-minded countries and then to work together. And one of the most important thing, I guess it would be like uh, Mr. Cooper ever introduced the uh, China, uh, Canada, Taiwan Relations Framework Act. Of course, it's because of the election, it has been stopped, but it will be much, much appreciated if Mr. Cooper can bring back. And another thing I guess which is also important is about CPTPP. And uh, I guess Canada can work um, to welcome Taiwan to join CPTPP and uh, to form a, a trade zone, which allow the like-minded country to trade with each other and without worrying too much. And lastly, that is important is, is, is uh, the, the alliance between United States, United Kingdom and Australia to form the AUKUS and uh, a few weeks ago. And um, of course, I understand that Canada, that, that uh, we, we didn't join that. But given the Indo-Pacific region probably will become the most controversial region around the world. And I think Canada need to be prepared. We have to prepare to join the like-minded country 
and uh, to to deal with anything that could happen in the next few years. When we hear discussions about aggression in the South China Sea and sanctions and all of these very big picture things, it's very abstract to a lot of ordinary people. And, and let me ask you, uh, you in on, uh, on this, what can ordinary people do? What, what can people do on an individual level to support Taiwan and support uh, the Taiwanese uh, pursuit of independence? Uh, well, um, um, I'm working on this as well to get the people to to develop the interest to get to know Taiwan. And I know Taiwan government, Taiwanese people are working on their behalf to to generate the interest and in general in the in, in a positive and 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 both wind way to 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 introduce reintroduce Taiwan and to establish the connection between people to people. And um, people generally understand and agreed that um, Taiwan has been uh, demoted and disregarded um, in terms of personal level and the country level. Um, they feel helpless as well. Um, when you talk about ordinary people, each of them think they are just one, how much power they can influence their government official or even speaking um, China. So it, it seems very small, but we, we gotta look at this way that we, we are a, a society, a, a community and like working with like-minded uh, country. So it's a small step that for an ordinary people to uh, connect with their um, representative in the in the area, and and to push the party in the country to work on the actions, and for the long run. And, and it's we are not only talking about favoring for uh, Taiwan. No, we we're talking about in the long run for security, for economic reason, and and for the uh, defense reason and for the general good that we want to have a peaceful uh, relationship and workable relationship with China. We're talking about this. And so uh, country uh, government need to develop a long-term strategy that we cannot back down. Um, we could take in a slower step when things comes difficult, but when when where the, 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 the big leap can be put forward, we have to be prepared for that. And I will prefer the uh, countries having their bucket list of what they can do to uh, strengthen their uh, ties and economic um, uh, trade relations with Taiwan. And also, I would also like to see how this work when China um, put in assault to Taiwan. Um, if there's a possibility to play the, play the other way around that we could in terms, in, in terms of keeping silence, we should take a step forward to, to, to deliver uh, our message and to uh, reach our hand to Taiwan. Very tiny uh, baby steps since us a um, few months ago when uh, uh, in March this year when China 
banned the um, uh, pineapple fruit uh, import to, to, uh, from Taiwan to China. Um, I can see trade office in Taipei um, posting um, a pictures of themselves buying more of and consuming more of the Taiwanese pineapples, and which is very, very unusual, I would say, in my observation. Um, um, uh, the, the, the trade office not only taken out to the social medias and uh, um, it generated the media in the circle to um, report in this and um, to reach out the ordinary people. Yeah, but this similar thing, same as the canola oil band and uh, mm -hmm. beef and all the other um, uh, agricultural product band in Canada and other um, trade band in Australia. So we all each suffer the same thing, same tactic from uh, China for no reason, for unforeseeable and ir irregular reason, for no reason. And we should get together and even just tiny little steps that we could still inch out to deliver a positive message that we are ready to, to for a bigger action. That's very well said, Yui. And, and I should note, when China does things like its actions on canola and, and the pineapple example, it makes it real for a lot of individual people because all of a sudden you have farmers and uh, people that work in trade and shipping that are affected by this that, that start seeing that. So I, I'm glad you shared what you did. Uh, let me turn back to you here, Michael. You introduced in June the uh, Canada-Taiwan Relations Framework Act. As we know, the uh, parliamentary session didn't last too, too long after that, and, and we ended up in an election before... Uh, your bill could uh, be advanced any further. Uh, I assume you would like to do something else in the next parliament very similar. Uh, let me ask you also, how was that received uh, just, you know, casually and, and uh, personally among your colleagues of different parties? Was there broad cross-partisan buy-in for this? I'm hopeful that there will be cross-party support for what is a modest but important step and it is uh, an initiative that I do intend to take up uh, in this new parliament. Uh, but very simply, the legislation that I put forward, the Canada-Taiwan Relations Framework Act, uh, provides for a mechanism, a framework, by which to conduct relations between Canada and Taiwan, absent formal diplomatic relations, including in areas of cultural legal and economic affairs. Among the measures that it would uh, enact is to codify uh, Canada's support uh, for Taiwan's participation in international fora, including at the WHO and at ICAO. It would allow the Taiwan Representative Office to be called back uh, instead of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office, recognizing that that office that diplomatic office represents the government of Taiwan and the people of Taiwan. Uh, it would provide that Canada could enter into legal agreements with Taiwan uh, so that we could negotiate on an upfront basis uh, to advance things like a foreign investment uh, promotion FIPA uh, agreement, the next step towards a free trade agreement. And uh, it would recognize uh, in Canadian law that Taiwan is an entity uh, recognizing 
and for all intents and purposes, absent uh, common recognition, Taiwan is effectively a sovereign state. Very well said. And I'll give you the last word on this, uh, Professor Shin. What would you like to see the next step be from a, a Canadian government or, or from any other government? What, what do you think is the, the first thing that should happen if we pursue the ideal relationship with Taiwan moving forward? I think the first thing the government should do is to ban Huawei 5G. A lot of Canadians, we don't understand Chinese uh, regimes. If you know China very well, you must understand that Huawei is not a private enterprise as it look like. In reality, in such a sens sensitive industry like a telecom in China, less impossible to have any room for private business. Huawei actually is based on military PLC to fund it. But most Canadians, we don't understand. I mean, like uh, when you try to engage with China, you should not base on a common framework which we usually use in Canada. You have to really understand China's regime and then you know how to deal with the Chinese. Well, very well said. And we could do a whole other uh, panel show on Huawei, which we might do. So thank you for the inspiration. York University professor and a Taiwan affairs expert, Professor uh, Jung Chen Shin, Edmonton MP or St. Albert Edmonton MP, I should say, Michael Cooper, and also Taiwan Watch founder, UAN Zhang. Thank you all three of you for coming on. This was a, a thoroughly en enlightening discussion. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.